Bibles, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 this morning. We were about two years in the book of Mark. So instead of going to a book of the Bible, I believe the Lord has led me to, pre to preach on for the next several weeks, still depending on how long it will be, on the life of Paul the Apostle. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 9 because that's where it all starts. Pretty much all starts there, a little bit before that, but pretty much starts there. Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at this message entitled, From Persecutor to Preacher, the Life of the Apostle Paul. From Persecutor to Preacher, the Life of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9 this morning in verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the, his disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a, a light from heaven, and fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. Gracious Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your blessed presence that is promised to everyone who knows you. I pray, Lord, that you would be with each one of us. And I pray through your word, through your spirit, that you would speak to each one of us wherever we are. Some may be discouraged this morning, some baffled, some in the very grip of sin, temptation, falling away, some apathetic, some following hard after. Wherever you, we, you, you, you find us this morning, I pray that you would speak. Speak. Do what I cannot do. Speak to the hearts of people. Oh, blessed Spirit, thank you for this day that you've given us your word to proclaim from this pulpit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Paul, or here at the very beginning of his life, Saul, has been called one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. He declared in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That should be the prayer of all of us. To live, to, for me to live is Christ. What, is to, what would be said of your life this morning? For me to live is money. For me to live is relationships. For me to live is fun. For me to live is work. For me to live is what? For Paul, for him to live was Christ, the Christ crucified. He wrote nearly half of the books of the Bible, pioneer missionaries, three missionary journeys, 
planted many churches, mentored many men and women, faithful in prayer, mighty in faith, true to the gospel to the very end. He gave his very life. He was beheaded. He gave his very life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he didn't always follow God. Of course, as we're going to look at, he was used first by the devil. (laughs) And it's often in the case of people who are used in a great way by God, first they're used by the devil. The devil used him in a great way, as we're going to see, to persecute the church. But he went from being a persecutor to a preacher. How did that happen? That's what we're going to learn this morning. How did he go from being a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ? First of all, we see Saul's tradition. Saul's tradition, it says, and we read in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Sicily, yet brought up in the city of the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the perfect man of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God as ye are this day. He learned under the greatest, the best, his name was Gamaliel. He was an educated man. He was an educated man. We see his tradition that first of all, he had a passion for the Jews' religion. He had a passion for the Jews' religion. Acts chapter 26, verse 4 and 5, My man of life from my youth, which is at the first among my own nation in Jerusalem, know you all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. We talked about Phariseeism at length through the life of Jesus. Remember, this was a group of people that you really don't know a whole lot about if you just read the scriptures itself. You almost have to go into the the inner testament times between the Old Testament and the New. This group of people, the Pharisees, these separated ones came about and they tried to stem the tide of the spread of Greek culture called Hellenization. You all learned that term, I'm sure, in school. We probably forgot it and learned it again. They were trying to stem the tide. They wanted, they, wanted to, they wanted their kids, they wanted the culture of the Jews to stay intact, that which they had learned from Moses in the Old Testament. So they, they wanted to be separate from the culture. It was a good thing. The problem is, as with, two, it's with almost every group, either you, you don't go far enough or you go too far. They went too far. You see, there's, in the Bible, we, we focus on Ten Commandments. Now we're going to begin talking about Ten Commandments. Most of us have all failed in all those, the 10. But you know in the Bible there's 603 more. They added to the 613 their own law, their own oral tradition. They had all their own specific laws. They were strict, very strict. Brother Keith told me this morning, I forgot my jacket. And I said, brother, I thought to myself, man, I'm, I'm about to lose my head if I didn't have them on my shoulders. But if during the Pharisees, if you'd have done something like that, you're out the church. You're gone. I mean, and there's some movements in, in, in America even today like that. My mother, as I've said to you, got kicked out of the holiness church because she had my father's engagement ring on. The preacher and two ladies came to her house and said, you're out of the church because you wear jewelry. You see that over something small like that? It's called legalism. They add to the law, dear folks. And you know what we've got to be careful about as a church? Do we add to the law? Folks, we've got to focus on what is said in this book, what is written in this book, not what's extra outside of this book. 
We'll be very careful about that because we sometimes, we like to keep traditions, but we add to what always written. Focus on what you do know, not what you don't know. We have the word of God. Let's focus on it. I don't know about you, but I have a difficult time just following it, much less what's outside of it. So Saul's tradition, he was passionate. He was passionate in the Jews' religion. We read about it more in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he, uh, that he hath whereof might trust in the flesh, I more. He goes on to get this lit, litany of what he had done, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of the Hebrews, touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is the law, blameless. What is he saying? I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm the... He was saying, I'm the best of the best, not like me. <laughs> he said, I'm the best of the best. There's, no, there's not a Pharisee better than me. There's not a Hebrew better than me. I learned it all. They would have books of the Bible memorized. Their salvation, though, was what they did and what they knew, not who they knew. And dear friends, there are churches on this road right now that focus on what they do. There's false teaching in America right now as I'm speaking. There's preachers and all persuasions telling people that you get to heaven by, being, by, by coming to church that day. You get to heaven by putting money in that, in that offering, and you get double probably could put money in that little offering for the little kids. And your, your, your salvation and your sanctification is all wrapped up in the outward. And if we're not careful, we can fall in that same kind of thinking too and I was I was that's exactly where I was before I was seven, 17 years I was in a Baptist church but somehow I had the idea that if my good works outweighed my bad works I would somehow some way get into heaven and that is a teaching that is prevalent in America you go knocking on these doors, and I encourage you to go with me on the 20th, knock on a door, and you'll ask them, if you died today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And most of them will say to you, I hope so, I think so. And if they'll let you take that second question and ask them why, which usually you don't get that far. 99% of the time, you don't get that far. But if they'll let you ask the question why, they will say to you, because I have been Dear friends, you, you can be as good as the, live, the long, live long day, but there's no one good enough to get to heaven. There's no one good enough to get to heaven. I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you kept the law perfectly, and there's no one in this room, and there's no one in Gainesville, there's no one in the floor, there's no one in the country, no one in the world that's kept the law perfectly. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no not one. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all born after Adam. So he was passionate for the Jews' religion. But secondly, not only that, he was a persecutor of the Christian believers. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, 14, For ye have heard of my conversation from times past the Jews' religion, but beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals, my time of my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. 
He was there, I believe, as the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. The Bible says he was there at Stephen's stoning. He says they cast him out of the city. He's talking about Stephen and stoned him. And witness laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Basically, he consented to the stoning of death of Stephen. He consented of it. The Bible says, and he gives his own testimony in Acts chapter 22, verse 4. I persecuted the way unto death, binding and delivering unto prisons both men and women. I said, Lord... They know I am in prison and beaten every synagogue. Them that believed on thee, I, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having exceedingly authority from the chief priests, when they were put into death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them often. Every synagogue compelled them to blaspheme, being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even into strange cities. And we see here our text, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Some of you watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday. Those horses, when they were churning, going towards the finish line, their noses flared. This was Saul going after the Christians. He wanted to destroy them. He persecuted them. Yesterday, in the last few moments of sunlight, my wife and I sat in the lanai and joined the Florida weather, we let our cat inside the lanai. And the cat was after the lizard. Oh, what a chase it was. The lizard would go this way. The cat would go that way. The lizard would go that way. The cat would go that way. And finally, that old lizard, he got, he got smart, and he hid underneath the little wood pile, and the cat just sat there with his head going this right there, just like that. And I thought to myself this morning, that's just like Paul was. He was after the Christians. Why? Because he believed in his heart the Christians were wrong. He believed this, this group that's called the way, which Christians were called in that time, were, were evil, were wrong, were a spurious group. They, he didn't, they did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. That's why they crucified him. That's why they crucified him. But I believe somebody must have pray, been praying for Saul. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for, did, for so did their fathers to the false prophets by saying to you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them that spitefully use you. I wonder who was that was praying for Saul. See, Saul had it all. <laughs> Saul had it all. He had talent, ability, gifts, Born in the right place, nobility, born at the right time, heritage. He, Saul, had it all. This last week, I listened to a testimony of a young lady by the name of Laura. She's not as young as she used to be, of course. But so I listened to this testimony. She was born in Puerto Rico, Brother Pete. Went to, used to go to synagogue with her, with her grandma. She used to love going to, to synagogue with her grandma. She said she sat there and just amazed at all that was going on. But as kids do, they went on to high school and college and left God out of the pictures, oftentimes the case. 80%, it is said, of kids who go to church after college leave their Christianity back where they went to church. 80%. She went on, got married. Marriage didn't last very long. She got divorced. She thought life was about relationships. It wasn't. 
Then she thought life was all about work. She made it. She was in the, she says, the rental car business. She, she, went to, she was, got high up in it. She said, I, I kept getting promotion after promotion after promotion, and I would buy clothes. I'd go, I'd go on, on, on vacations. I would get stuff and all those things to fill, as she said, that God-shaped void. She thought money would fill it. It didn't. She thought things would fill it. It didn't. She thought going on vacations would fill it. She thought relationships would fill it. It didn't. Nothing can fill the God-shaped void, friend, except for Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can fill it. And someone asked her to go to church, and she almost laughed. <laughs> but this woman was different. She had a peace about her which passeth understanding. I wonder if someone would see you at your workplace, would they see the peace which passeth understanding on your countenance? Would they see that? She saw this in that lady. And she invited her to church. And she went to the church and she said, everybody there still had that peace, that calmness, that tranquility about them. And she wanted more of that. And she, they said, well, you start with reading the Bible. She went home and devoured the Bible, but her flesh... It was against it was ever against everything that she taught was taught. She was against everything but she believed, but she couldn't fight against the truth of it. And one day she got gloriously saved. She got gloriously saved. That was Saul's tradition. Thank God for transformation. I love to see transformations. The greatest miracle of the world is not creation. The greatest miracle in the world is not the flood. Greatest miracle in the world was not the Red Sea. Greatest miracle in the world was not the water to wine. The greatest miracle of the world is when a sinner gets saved. When a sinner gets saved. I love, my wife and I used to watch The Fixer Upper. I know some of you used to watch that. Remember Chip and Joanne Gangs? Chip would be out there hammering and knocking stuff down. Joanne would be out there buying stuff. Perfect, right? And you see that old place, it was just, I mean, you'd hate for anybody to have to live in the place it started out with. But then after some work, some work and work, it was totally transformed. Oh, Saul became Paul. He's totally got transformed. Look at it, verse, th verse 3, Acts chapter 9. He journeyed, came to Damascus, and suddenly there was shined around about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, while persecutest me and he, he said who art thou Lord he answered his own question who art thou Lord oh he would heard this as the Bible says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 11 by the revelation of Jesus Christ he heard what he hear he heard the good news he heard the gospel, and he would tell us what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which ye also delivered and received, wherein you stand. For I delivered you, first of all, that which ye also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and he was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scripture. What is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. Who's it for? It's for you. It's for anyone. It's for everyone. The gospel's for everyone who will believe when you believe. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. For after the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
He'll save from the guttermost to the uttermost all that will come to him by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. Yes, Saul at this time heard a voice, but secondly, saw a vision of his new mission. Look at verse 6, and trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to that city, and it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. When God calls you and tells you what to do, the thing to do is to do it. Success is finding God's will for your life and doing it. What has God called you to do? Everybody in this room should be living according to the very will of God or seeking after it. If someone is to come to you and say, what do you believe God wants you to do with your life? You ought to say, you, ought to, you, you, you should be like, well, I'm praying about it at the very least. At the very least, you ought to be pursuing it, seeking it. How do you do it? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. That's how you find it. You start with this, and being in church, and in prayer, and in fellowship, and seeking wisdom. And counsel, that's how you find the very will of God. Do you know the will of God for your life? Are you pursuing it? After, are you seeking after it? The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Are you following the will of God for your life? Are you seeking after it? The Bible says in verse 10, Acts chapter 9, there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias who came who, to him, said the Lord in a vision. Ananias, he says, behold, I'm here. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prayeth, and he hath seen the vision of a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him, and he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things, many of many heard of many of this man, and have much evil he hath done to the saints of Jerusalem, and he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that came on his name, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he has chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the kings, Gentiles, and the kings, the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the Lord speaks to Ananias and says, You got to go meet Saul. You got to go meet Saul. And to meet Saul, I mean, like we just said, he's the one who's the persecutor of the church. You're going to go meet your enemy? Oftentimes, what God tells you will do in life will not make sense to you. Did you hear what I just said to you? Oftentimes, what God tells you to do, it will not make sense to you. Go up to a person who you do not know and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what God wants you to do. He'll give you a desire to financially help somebody when you don't have the money to financially help them but to step out on faith to do it. He'll help you, help you to have you to help a widow or some stranger. And you, don't, you won't understand exactly why, but if you're sensitive to the Spirit of God, He will lead you and guide you and show you exactly what you're supposed to do. The question is, will you do it? See, if everything has to make sense to you, dear friend, you won't do much in the Christian life. You won't. You only go so far. Does it make sense to go to Mozambique? Does it make sense to go to Haiti? 
Does it make sense to go to, the, go to many of the countries that we support? India? Does it make sense? No, dear friends, it's not about the sense of it. It's following the will of God. Does it make sense for the folks that we heard last week go down to Jacksonville, pick up the homeless, and bring them to a place to feed them? Does it make sense? Is it economically beneficial? No, they're just doing what God wants them to do. And listening and following the word of God, the sense of, and the spirit of God. And what was going to be the end of this? What was the purpose of all this? <laughs> it says there at the end that I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, Paul was going to have to suffer for Jesus Christ. Now, that's not very popular in this day and age, suffering. You mean he's not going to get cookies and, and coffee? No. You mean it's not always going to be nice and easy for him? No, read the life of Saul. He went through beatings. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. And ultimately, he, 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 he lost his life. The greatest of use is to those, or to those who are greatly used have to go through great struggles in life. The greater the struggle, the greater the use. So you might be going through problems and financial difficulties and, and all kinds of array of things. You might say, this isn't fair. God, I don't like this. It might be the very thing that God is using in your life to help you be what you need to be for Christ. Paul went through these struggles. He went through these difficulties. He went through these sorrows. And it was all about Christ. All about Christ. What was the purpose? Acts chapter 26, verse 18, to open the eyes of them and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan into God, that many receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in me. But he had to suffer. He had to go through difficulty. He had to go through trial. He had to go through problems on the way. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Now that you are ambassadors for Christ, as though God has beseeched you, we pray in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. And that was the purpose of it all. Great men, sometimes who go through great trial, if they're going to be greatly used. You may not have heard of a man by the name of John Newton. You may have never heard that name ever in your life. He had a godly mother who prayed for him, but his godly mother died, and his dad took him out to be a sailor. He sold slaves. He was a wicked, cursing man. But one night during a storm, he remembered the prayers and the words of his mother, and he cried out to God and got saved. And then he began to help save the slaves. And he wrote a song, which we all know, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Not a wonderful person, not a good person, not a victim. He saved a wretch like John Newton. John Newton. We see Saul's tradition. We, saw, we see Saul's test transformation. But thirdly, as we close this morning, Saul's testimony. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you have a testimony. Could you share that testimony with me this morning if I were to ask you? If I was to come to you after this and we were sitting across each other at fellowship back there over a piece of, over a piece of chicken, and I was to say to, say to you, sir, ma'am, you, would you share to me your testimony? What would you say? Would you go, um, uh, e, uh, um, uh, or would you say, on this day, this time, this place, I recognize I was a sinner and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior? Friend, if you don't have a testimony, you're not saved. Did you hear what I said? If you don't have a testimony, if you don't, 
I've been to a few birthings. She's the first one. There was a time and a place when that happened. Now, you might know the, not know the exact time is that place, but every one of you should have a testimony of how you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, or you're not saved. Do you have a testimony this morning? We read the testimony of Saul, how he was saved. Acts chapter 26, verses 19 20, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disappeared the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them, O Damascus and Jerusalem, throughout the coast of Judea, and to the Gentiles, and they should repent and turn to God, and do the works first meet for repentance. He had a testimony of salvation, and secondly, had a testimony of service. Could I ask you what your testimony of salvation is? Could I ask you what your testimony of service is? Can I ask you, what are you doing to promote the kingdom of Jesus Christ? When's the last time you witnessed to anybody? When's the last time you passed out a track? When's the last time you did good? The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. When's the last time you did good for somebody? What's your testimony of salvation? What's your testimony of service? Jim Elliott, who gave his life on the foreign field, said, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to a decision. Let me not be a, a, a mile post on a single road. Make me a fort that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. And we meet people, and we may be a, a, a place, a fork in the road that when they see us, they must come to the decision to deny Christ. Or accept Christ. We see his public preaching, but secondly, his personal witnessing. Acts chapter 26, verse 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue in the city, witnessing both the small and great, saying none of these things, that those things was the prophets of Moses to say to come. He had a, he had a public ministry. He had a personal ministry, per, personal witnessing. This would be a part of our life. Witnessing, sharing the gospel. The most important thing in this world, friends, it's not what we can see, but what we can't see. It's not what we can see, but what we can't see. Sometimes speaking a word, leaving a tract, seeing a letter, seeing a text, sending a message, you can't always see immediately the impact of it. It's like putting a seed in the ground. You can't see that seed automatically grow, can you? But you know what I believe the seed, the seed of the gospel was? For Saul of Tarsus is when that man, Stephen, though he was stoned, lived for Jesus into the end. I believe that shook him. He saw something that was different from Pharisaismism. Pharisaism, fakeness. <laughs> he saw something that was legit. He saw something that was real. And when he saw that, that had to impact his life. And when someone people when people meet you out and about, they see people who are real. Oh no, there's none of us perfect. Know that, but by the grace of God, that we're different. Are you different in your conversation, in your life, in your loves, in your longings, in your laughter? Are you different? Paul was different. Became different. I believe the seed, the seed started. I believe the seed started with Saul. But do small things in people's lives. We want big things to happen right now. We want people to be saved right now, dear friends. But start with the small. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said. He preached to thousands in London each Sunday, yet he started his ministry as a teenager by simply passing out tracts and teaching Sunday school class. He said, I'm perfectly sure 
that if it had not been willing to preach to those small gatherings of people in obscure country places, I should never have had the privilege of preaching to thousands of men in large buildings all over the land. Remember our Lord's rule, whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Start with the small. Start with the small. It doesn't matter who sees you. It doesn't matter where you, if somebody notices, start with the small. Helping people where they are, your family, your friends, work from the circle of influence that you have, and from that circle, go outward to help other people. Oh, dear friend, God wants to do a great work in our lives. Saul, who became Paul, may be the greatest Christian who ever lived, but you know what? It's the same Lord that worked in his heart who wants to work in our heart. If we'll simply listen to the voice, the same voice that spoke to Saul, rise up, go to Damascus. Oh, he didn't understand it. He couldn't figure it all out. But he trusted in Jesus, and he went, and his eyes were open, and he was given a new ministry. And all of us here have benefited from that day on the road to Damascus. Are you listening to God in that still small voice? Most films, TV programs are not worth watching nowadays. But recently, my wife and I watched a film or TV program or movie, I believe it was, on Amazon Prime called A Wing and a Prayer. This actually happened about 15 minutes, 15 miles from where I lived for 18 years in Fort Myers, Florida. It was a story of a man by the name of Doug White who lived, Brother Tiny, in the great state of Louisiana but had a brother in Naples, Florida. His brother died, and he flew him and his wife and two girls flew to Naples, Florida to, to the, for the funeral. They had to fly back to Louisiana on Easter Sunday. They got in a plane. Now, <laughs> Doug had had a little bit of Flying experience, Brother Pete. Not a whole lot, but a, a lot. And he had a Cessna, single-engine plane. We got in this plane, got up, got going a little, a little piece. And next thing you know, the pilot, I think his name was Joe, died. And they had to get Joe out of the way. And they had to fly it himself. Now, I'm not going to ruin it for you and tell you everything that happened. But the person who was leading him said to him, quote, Sometimes you have to trust in things you can't see. Sometimes you have to trust in things you can't see. Dear friend, if you have to see Jesus, if you have to understand all of it, if to figure it all out, you'll never see it. Unless you believe, you'll never see. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Dear friend, what is that voice saying to you this morning? Maybe it's saying, I don't have a testimony. I don't know if I was to die the day I'd go to heaven. 
Maybe it's saying, I know I'm saved. I have a testimony, but I don't have a testimony of service. I'm not doing a whole lot for Jesus Christ right now. I'm not doing a whole lot. Whatever the Spirit of God is speaking to you to do, would you, like, Paul, like Saul on that road, would you listen and would you obey? Your life will be defined on what you do with that voice. Your life is defined on what you will do with Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Oh, Lord, pray, help us to be obedient to that heavenly voice. Thank you that Saul of Tarsus on that Damascus road was obedient to Jesus and followed him all the way to the day he died. I wonder with head bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, could you say, Preacher, I have a testimony of salvation. I know there's been a time when I recognized I was a sinner. And there's a time I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I know there's been a time, and I'm lifting up my hand to confirm it. I've been saved. I know Christ is my Savior. I know there's been a time in my life. I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and my hand is raised high right now. I have asked Christ to be my Savior. I know I have. Put your hands down. That's most of you, but not all of you. 